Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious I'm about. Curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships can evolve with people evolve as they grow and change? You know, there's a whole range of experiences that can be sex rather than just this one thing that we're kind of brought up to think, oh, that's what sex is and anything else isn't that. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. Today, I'm joined by the none other than the full cast of the Multiamory podcast. My name is Dedeker Winston. I'm a relationship coach who works with individuals, couples, and triads. I'm also a co-host and co-creator of the Multiamory podcast, which is a research-backed relationship advice show that centers non-traditional relationships. My name is Emily Sotelo-Matlack. I am one of the co-hosts of the Multiamory podcast and also one of the co-authors of Multiamory, the book which is about to come out. I also am very fortunate because I get to travel a lot and do acting and singing. And that's my other job in addition to being a professional podcaster at this point. I'm Jace Lindgren. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Multiamory podcast, as well as one of the authors of Multiamory Essential Tools for Modern Relationships. And I'm also secretly a double agent in the corporate world, trying to make changes from within that world to uh, make non-monogamy more acceptable and just alternate relationships in general, uh, doing what I can to support people in that space. If you are listening to our show, the chances are you're listening to Multiamory as well. Jace, Emily, and Dedeker created the Multiamory podcast back in 2014 to raise awareness, provide approachable resources, and combat the stigma faced by people in non-traditional relationships. These days, they have hundreds of episodes and millions of downloads under their belt, and they're surrounded by a rapidly growing community. They're dedicated to offering practical advice and communication tools grounded in the latest relationship research, guest experts, and years of professional experience. Most recently, their book of the same name, Multiamory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, hit the shelves. They started a podcast when they were a triad, and their relationship has evolved over time. So that's why we started. Of course, I know you from the show. Um, it's been going for years. I know that when we first started seeing what we wanted to play around in the in the this podcasting space, um, your show was coming up at you know as one of the only ones available at the time. So um, mm -hmm. been a long time on air, if you will. So thank you very yes. much for all that work that you do. Thank so I'm you. curious. You, I know that you started the show because you there wasn't anybody out there talking about relationships, especially sort of the non traditional relationships, and you had a sort of a non traditional relationship. I'm curious, can we start from there? Can you tell me a little about your relationship and its evolution over the time? Sure, I'll start the story and we can all tell it together. So from my perspective and, and from Emily's, the two of us were in a monogamous relationship for a few years. And we ended up opening up that relationship at some point, just kind of with that feeling of, there's got to be some other way to do this. There must be some other kind of option. But we didn't know the term polyamory. We didn't know anything that we were doing. We just kind of knew that open relationship was a thing. And I started exploring that and made a lot of mistakes, but also met a lot of people who suggested resources like books and podcasts and just kind of taught us things that they knew, which is what led us to the term polyamory and eventually you know, led us to being on OkCupid okay and then ended up connecting with Dedeker and her partner, uh, who they were already polyamorous. Yeah, I already been on kind of my own journey of exploring polyamory for a few years at that point. And my live-in partner went on a date with Emily and that's how all four of us got connected. Yeah, so it, we were together for quite a while and actually a quad for a while However, quads are kind of notoriously unstable. And so therefore, that sort of broke apart after a while. But during that time, the three of us realized we don't know 
that much about this at this point. We're interested in learning more. We're interested in maybe creating a resource for people out there who also may be curious about how they can do polyamorous relationships better. So Jace actually was the one who was like, why don't we start a podcast? And this was very, very early on in the space in 2014. Uh, So we were able to do that. And our relationship has taken many different forms over that time. The three of us are no longer all in a relationship. Jason Dedeker is still together, but I'm actually now in a monogamous relationship and have been for quite a few years. And that was very intentional on my part and on the part of my partner as well. So it's cool that we've been able to retain our own individual relationships with one another and also as the group while still, you know, creating this podcast baby over the last nine years. It's been really a special experience. Okay, so I'm a relationship nerd like you guys. Uh, and I'm curious, I'm going to dig in a little bit more about your relationship, how, how it evolved, if that's okay. Sure. So I guess I'll start with uh, the fact that we were all in this quad together. So Dedeker lived with her partner at the time, and Emily and I lived together. And you know, Emily was dating him, and I was dating Dedeker. And originally, that's how it was set up, right? Where sort of two two couples relationships, yeah, yeah, kind of overlapped like that. And um, then over time, I think a few things happened. One would be that. Emily and Dedeker started to, you know, see if there was a a romantic relationship there between the two of them. Meanwhile, I think things started, started becoming challenging and we definitely had some issues with communication and expectations and all sorts of things regarding Dedeker's partner at the time. Well, what's interesting when I think back on it now is, yes, back then there were some resources. It wasn't a totally barren landscape. You know, we'd all read The Ethical Slut, you know, the classic. Sex of Dawn. Yeah, you know, we'd read those classics. But I think about how now, if I was in a quad where there was some drama, there was some tension, there were some issues, I would at least be able to Google you know, being in a polyamorous quad or, you know, resources for being in a group relationship or, or even, even resources for being in a triad. And I don't think at that time that even existed, like anything even that specific existed. Now, do I think that would have like totally saved the situation? Maybe not necessarily, but it is funny to think about how the landscape has shifted so much and how I'm so grateful that there's at least a lot more people whether they're educators or people who are creating content, but just like people who are just open about their lives and what makes it work and what doesn't make it work, right? And of course, I mean, we didn't have another quad or even triad role model to look to really. Like we were just sort of in the middle of the ocean, just swimming around trying to figure it out on our own, you know? I totally get that. And I know that I love that these days we have so many more options in terms of role models and people talking about it. And and all the, also there's a lot of ground being covered on intersectionality and all that kind of stuff. So I love that all those resources are available now. And there weren't that many back then. And I'm also curious, even before that, how did you arrive at non-monogamy? Like what, what were you, you were in monogamous relationships. What were the impetus for you to go, hey, this is not working out. We think there's something different out there. And can you, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So the way that I came to it, I think was somewhat different from how Jason Emily came to it. You know, just for a quick overview of my background, I was raised very conservative evangelical Christian. So my upbringing had a lot of very different stories around what relationships should be, what sex should be or shouldn't be. You know, so I was raised definitely with this extremely traditional mindset around relationships. And yet still, you know, right out the gate, my very first quote unquote adult relationship, you know, when I was a teenager, almost immediately had that experience of, oh, wow, I've met someone, I've I've gotten feelings for someone or in an exclusive relationship and oh no, now I suddenly have a crush on somebody else. But like, but I still like the person I'm in the relationship with, but I'm really interested in this person. Oh no, the church never told me what to do in this situation and Disney movies never told me what to do in this situation. I was always taught that if this situation happens, if you're having feelings for someone you're not in a relationship with, like either it means the relationship's bad or it means that you're bad in some way. And so that was sort of the weird narrative that I picked up and ran with through most of my formative teenage years into my early 20s was like, 
this keeps happening. Like I, I somehow seem to be broken in some way and that I have the capacity to be attracted to more than one person at once. And so what does that mean? How do I deal with that? Does it mean that I'm broken in some, some way? And then it wasn't until my early 20s that when I was describing this constant cycle that happened to me to my best friend, he was the one who suggested, have you thought about ever trying an open relationship? And I was a little bit offended at the suggestion because I had this association that an open relationship is for someone who's a sex addict or someone who's not actually committed to their partner or not actually in love with their partner. It's all only for casual dating, right? But then I still went home. And again, there was just enough resources online that I could still do some preliminary internet searches for open relationship and see what was out there and like find some old live journal entries in some dusty corner of the internet and like start to get that sense of, oh, people have been doing this. That was how I got introduced to the term polyamory, right? You know, people have been doing this for a while and people are doing this in a way that's ethical and consensual and everyone's actually happy and it just blew the doors off of my reality. And so for me, that was the first impetus to go really hard into finding every single book that I could find, right? And like scrubbing the internet for every single resource that I could find. And, you know, my first crack at it, because I was in a monogamous relationship at the time and we opened up, you know, my first attempt at it went horrible because we were in our early 20s and we were bad at communicating. We didn't know what we actually wanted out of this. And so that relationship ended up imploding about six months later. But for me, the key turning point was after I got to the end of that really painful period I didn't think to myself, ooh, failed experiment. Let's go back to monogamy. Like what I thought to myself was like, wow, that really sucked. And that was really hard. And I know there has to be a way to do this better because I still felt more like myself than I ever had in relationship. And so I think for me, that was not only the affirmation of like, okay, non-monogamy is the choice for me, but also learning more about how to do non-monogamy and relationships better was the track that I ended up on, which, you know, led me to be, to this podcast. <laughs> so that was my origin story. Beautiful. Yeah, so many of those things resonate with me. Yeah, I'm curious about the others. Sure, yeah, I'll I'll go. Um so for me, my upbringing was similar to Dedeker's in terms of being raised Christian and being very much in that community, but I, I think a slightly different flavor of Christianity, but still with all that baggage about this is how sex should be, that monogamy is the only option, you know, all those sorts of things. However, for me, kind of the initial seeds of dissent were in the fact that I had, I guess he wasn't technically an, an uncle, but sort of like a, a good friend of my dad uh, who was gay and that I just thought was super cool. He was like a, a dealer in Vegas and, you know, super <laughs> cool guy, right? Would teach like card tricks and stuff. And so I was like, well, okay. You know, I'd, I'd kind of been brought up that that was bad, that, you know, that being gay is bad and that God doesn't like it. And so I'm like, but, but this guy's cool. <laughs> and then I start learning like, oh, there's more like celebrities and stuff out there that are gay that are cool. So like something doesn't add up here. That doesn't make sense. Like, there's, there's got to be something. So that kind of started those initial seeds of trying to figure out what there was, and that ended up basically leading to me gradually, you know, moving away from Christianity. But also during college, I read the book Stranger in a Strange Land, which I will say doesn't really hold up. To be honest, uh, it does not hold up today in terms of how he writes about gender and women and stuff like that. But it was a hugely transformative book for me because I think being written in the 50s or whatever, it kind of spoke to that conservative side of me that had been you know, taught as a Christian about how things work and then questioned it all. And in the book, basically, the main character kind of learns about separating jealousy and love and not associating, oh, if I'm jealous, that means I love someone. And instead saying, oh, if I love someone, why would I be upset about anything that made them happy, even if that thing was with somebody else? And for me, it was, and I bring it up just because it was that like, all of a sudden, my complete mindset on jealousy changed mm -hmm. like overnight, basically. Like whatever day I read that part of the book, just it changed completely. And so from there, you know, over the next several years, I still didn't think that open relationships or polyamory or anything was an option. I didn't even really know that was a thing people could do. But it was more of that like, gosh, if only I could live in a sci-fi world like this where that's possible, <laughs> that would be cool. And over the years, experimented a little bit with, you know, different partners 
through the years with, you know, little bits of, of group sex or some kind of open relationship type things over time, or maybe just trying to do like there was a period where I was casually dating a couple different people, but they did know about each other. And I was trying to be like, well, I feel like they should know about each other and I don't want to hide that fact. And so I was kind of like playing with the seeds of polyamory, but without knowing what I was doing and probably not doing a great job of it. And so for me later discovering it for real, you know, through my relationship with Emily and then with Dedeker was that like, oh, wow, this is something that I feel like I've been looking for or wished were possible. And now it seems like it actually is. And so for me, that was similar to Dedeker of like, wow, I think I finally found this thing that's worth working at and trying to figure out. Beautiful. Um, did you and Emily, when you started your relationship, was the idea was to be non-monogamous from the beginning? No, definitely not. I mean, we were monogamous when we started dating for sure. I, however, yeah, it, I think <laughs> it was interesting because I, I grew up very different than Jason Dedeker. I grew up as someone who my mother uh, and my father were in an affair and they never married and they were not religious at all. I really didn't know my father very well growing up. So I saw like a non-ethical non-monogamy from a very young age. And I think I kind of wanted to be the opposite of that as a young person and find a monogamous partner but I did also have similar things growing up of having boyfriends, but finding other people that I was still interested in and wondered like, well, why couldn't I also have fun with that person, even though I'm in a relationship with someone else? Uh, but, you know, I, I think for a very long time expected my life to go in one direction. And that direction was I'm going to get married eventually and I'm going to maybe have kids with that person and things along those lines. But yeah, it it made so much sense when Jace and I kind of realized, hey, something isn't exactly working the way that we want it to in this relationship. And it, we still have a lot of interests outside of just what our relationship specifically is. And that may lie in meeting other people, discovering more things about ourselves Jace is a little older than Dedeker and I are. And, you know, I felt like I was quite young at the time and and still wanted to explore a lot of other things. So so I think really overall in non-monogamy made a lot of sense as Jace and I were getting into it. And it just finding Dedeker also, and for me being able to explore my sexuality in a way that I hadn't ever before, because I knew, I think for a very long time, like I was interested in women as well. And I never had really gotten a chance to go there or to experience that. And so I think that that's a part of non-monogamy that has been really rewarding for me also is getting to do something along those lines, like explore my bisexuality in a way that I never had before. Yeah. It's interesting that even all three of us had, you know, somewhat different in some ways, somewhat overlapping in some ways that like all of us got this very like I would say homophobic upbringing as well. You know, I guess it makes sense with the religious upbringing, but Emily, with your upbringing being very distinctly non-religious that you still absorbed some of that. I think I still absorbed. Yeah, it's it's just a fact of knowing, you know, hearing so much about the heteronormative track of what relationships are and that that's kind of the right way to be. And, you know, I think that that's changing so much now, which is phenomenal for young people today. But definitely that still seeped into my like cultural, you know, over overwhelming overbeing, I guess. And that's kind of too bad that that was the case, but it definitely I, it has changed. And, you know, my relationship with my mom, we've been able to explore that and talk more about, you know, it, that you should change your thinking and update your thinking and things around that, too. Yeah, I, I think it's something that the three of us have all noticed is that having the ability to be polyamorous or let go of some of that strict idea of what relationships need to look like has also opened up that ability to explore our own sexualities more and to experience more things. Because it's like, it's almost like as soon as you stop holding on really tight to this one idea of how things can look, it opens up a lot of other options because you start to see 
oh, well, maybe I don't feel like I'd want to do, you know, I, that I'd want to be with a man in this way, but maybe in this other way, that'd be nice. And then it mm-hmm. kind of led to everything else, like reevaluating what sex means and that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole range of experiences that can be sex rather than just this one thing that we're kind of brought up to think, oh, that's what sex is and anything else isn't that. And as someone raised Christian, I think we especially know because, we all have these very clear guidelines of like, God says, don't have sex, but he only looks at this part of your body and not these other ones. So we can do whatever we want there. Like that, that kind of rules lawyering that we used to do with God. I think that once you kind of get to let go of some of that, it lets you explore more options and just, I guess, feel more whole as a person in your ability to connect to people and find what works rather than trying to make everything fit into one particular mold. Yeah, no, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. Actually, um, shame Jacqueline isn't here because she also grew up very, very Christian, and she talks about mm-hmm. the impact of that. Good for us. Her, in, in her relationship structures, her sexuality. We even recently did an episode on masturbation because it's Masturbation Month, and why wouldn't we? And she, you know, she tells these stories of how um, when when she was young and she was masturbating, she would make these packs with God. That you know, she was she was concerned that every time she masturbated, oh. that some, some like God was going to come down and like take her family away and she was going to wake up the next morning and no one's going to be there and and in an effort to stop herself from masturbating she would you know she would have these conversations with god saying like every time i masturbate like take my future children away in an effort to stop herself oh from yeah it's like such a dark you know she tells these stories on on, on wow, the show gosh, it's such yeah. a you know a dark place and she's from where she is to where she's now it's like a huge journey and so i am the opposite yeah. i grew up with no religion i grew up in a very secular family um where religion wasn't a thing we just we didn't really we didn't really talk about it and i've got a bunch of memos about everything else but i never got the memo around sex like shame and sex you know it just didn't i'm I'm sure i got it i just somehow i ignored it i'm 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 lucky so we have these (laughs) very opposite views of like where she comes from and where i come from and when i hear your stories it's really it really really resonates with me and it's kind of interesting how we've all somehow ended up in the same place, which I which I also find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like we just found our way to this thing that that makes sense to us. And I'm curious. So we heard about how you came to to non monogamy. We heard about kind of the evolution of this this relationship. I'm curious. Like, what is the latest update? Just to sort of complete that story, and so we have an idea of like where you are today, and then we'll take it from there. Gosh, well, the latest update is i mean for years what i've been telling people is that you know we're we're like an emotional like we're not like the three of us are not in a romantic or sexual relationship together anymore but there's still a relationship there right and so i always jokingly tell people that we're like this emotionally bonded triad that are co-parenting a podcast baby together because it, it is kind of that funny thing where sometimes people will interview me and be like oh what's it like to be running a podcast with your current partner and your ex and i'm like <laughs> I, I i don't know i just don't think about it in that way you know it, it's like we have this relationship that in many ways has grown and evolved and almost become more precious and even better functioning than the days we were like a romantic and sexual triad together. And so, you know, that's kind of been it. Is it's it's been this really really beautiful progression of not just being business partners and not just being podcast co-hosts, but really being chosen family at the end of the day, you know, like it's, you know, these two other people are some of like my most precious relationships ever. So I don't know, are there any other updates to our relationship that I'm missing? Can y'all fill, fill in for me? I know that I call myself more like ambi-amorous as well now because I'm currently in a monogamous relationship. But I know that polyamory, if that were back on a ta- on the table in a relationship, that I could go back to that for sure. I think it is great to have the option to be really intentional in whatever relationship it is that you choose. And that's a thing that people come to together or if they realize, I think like Jason Dedeker, that no, I am polyamorous, that is the relationship structure that works best for me. And that's the only thing I'm going to do. That if you are faced with that option of, well, this the only way that you can be in this relationship is if it is monogamous, then that's not something that they're going to do. So I appreciate that we have that different perspective on the show because 
there are a lot of people who listen to to our show that are monogamous. And I think a lot of the tools that we talk about can be used in any relationship structure you're in. Yeah, I'd say overall, that's the one big shift I would want to get across is that while we started our show specifically about polyamory and talking a lot just from our own personal experience with our relationship together, that the podcast has very much changed over the years, kind of gradually over the past nine years to being one that's a podcast show that's about research-based relationship advice and that talks about non-traditional relationships like polyamory and various kinds of non-monogamy, but talks about that in a very frank, just normal way, as in this is just a normal way people do relationships, but that the focus is more on, you know, what can we learn about relationships? How can we all do relationships better, Mm -hmm. no matter what they are? And that's not just non-monogamy and monogamy, but that's also our relationships with our friends and our coworkers and our family members and mm. all of that because over the years of researching and putting on this show, we've just seen that relationships are relationships mm. and that we as a society have kind of artificially put these boxes around, oh, well, this one has sex in it, so therefore everything needs to be treated differently. We have all this different lore, all this different you know, <laughs> belief and meaning we put on it. And then these other ones that are not that are all different. And it's just not true when it actually comes to how we as humans connect to each other and mm-hmm. consider each other important and then how we communicate about that and make that a good relationship. So I think that's kind of, to finish the story about the show starting to where it is now, that's, that's probably the big shift there. Nice. Beautiful. So um, what have been the highlights, like uh, both in terms of your journey within your relationship and also doing this podcast for, for nine years? I know that we are on our seventh year actually this month. So we were actually asking this question to, to ourselves, like what it's been a crazy journey, but not with the podcast. The podcast has been uh, about three years and then the Curious Fox has a, a community in New York and all that. So the whole journey is about seven years. And we were actually just reflecting on ourselves going, what have been the highlights and what have been the biggest challenges? So I'd love to extend that question to you. Um, I'd love it in like two parts. One, in terms of your relationship journey. So kind of, stumbling into it and trying to figure it out and then finding a good rhythm and understanding yourselves in the context of relationship structure, be it non-monogamous, polyamorous or non-monogamous, what has been the highlights and what have been the challenges? And then I want to ask the same question in your podcasting journey as well. But let's start with the relationship stuff, if that's okay. Yeah, I can jump in to get that started. As far as the relationship stuff, oh man, Well, I don't know if anyone else experienced this, but the pandemic really shook things up for me um, and the rest of the planet, obviously. You know, the pandemic was really challenging in that, you know, already leading up to the pandemic for several years, like I'd had these two long term partners who were living in different countries. And then when the pandemic kicked off, all of a sudden borders are closed and don't have the freedom to travel, don't have the freedom to connect in the same way that I was used to. While at the same time, also working as a relationship coach, working with everybody else's relationships that are now suddenly under new circumstances and new pressure, you know, it was a really, really difficult time. And what I actually loved about going through the pandemic was that it really drove home to me the importance again of like my non-romantic non-sexual connections and in particular you know that plays out among the three of us right that i really love although the three of us spend like so much time recording and doing business stuff and sometimes getting into squabbles and having to make decisions and just getting so exhausted from working so much but like we still enjoy actually having the three of us like in person together, having just like hangout time together, like having that really, really nurturing relationship is really wonderful. And then that really got driven home to me at the beginning of 2022, when I had a big breakup with one of my long-term partners, that it was like all of these other connections, all of these like deep friendship connections that like really supported me and really sustained me. So that might be one of my own just personal highlights, but I feel like that was one of the lessons that like really got encoded for me going through the pandemic was, again, I guess sort of a more of this like relationship anarchist take on not wanting to always default to, oh, my romantic and sexual relationships come first in all things and they're the things that I want to spend the most energy and time and focus on. But like all of my varied friendships are also incredibly important and life-giving as well. So I think that's the highlight for me, at least in the most recent history, as far as like relationship stuff goes. 
That's super interesting to hear from you. One of the sort of the running jokes and the the, the thing that I say a lot is um, the same advice that goes for your um, financial investments and your relationships: diversify, diversify, diversify. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and, I, and, I think, yeah. and I think that that's what I'm hearing from you. So that you know, you, you we need a, a portfolio of different connections to really sustain us and 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 our well being and our mental health. So it's beautiful hearing that from you. Um, so it's a beautiful highlight. Yeah. What about challenge? Oh goodness. Okay. Challenge with, with the personal relationships, I guess probably (laughs) for as much as I've been talking up how like we have this really wonderful relationship between the three of us that spans across all these different labels and, and formats and things like that. It is a challenge to run a business with people that you love. It is a challenge to carry this responsibility all the time with people that you love, right? It is a challenge where sometimes it is like, oh, let's have hangout friend time. Oh, wait, no, we're getting distracted because we get pulled into work or the opposite. Like, okay, we got to sit down and like hash out this thing. Oh, but we really want to gossip about what happened last weekend. And so we're going to waste two hours talking about that. You know, I I think there's really wonderful benefits to having a project like this with people that you love. And then there's also the challenges as well. So I think, I mean, that's the thing for me is always coming back to having to renegotiate, having to reevaluate. Fortunately, we are really strengthened and bolstered by the fact that we've spent nine years every single week talking about communication and about relationship tools, right? So we have a lot of tools under our belt that has helped us get through a lot of these challenging situations. I don't know, Em and Jace, what would you add to all that? Yeah, in terms of just the great things about our relationship, it's been just such a constant through line in my life for so long. You know, I've known Jace since 2011, which is really incredible at this point. Just so much of my adult life has been spent with these two people. And that's a really cool thing because you do get to know them so well and they know you so well. And I think we just got incredibly lucky in terms of finding the right people with the right temperament, all three of us that were able to kind of sustain this incredibly huge undertaking that we decided to do for some strange reason. But yeah, it's really held up and it's been a great thing in our lives for so long. I think for me, the the change between being in a romantic partnership to, to being in a non-romantic partnership really did kind of take years to sort of navigate and really figure out what it was that that was going to look like. And knowing like I'm seeing two people that I used to be intimate with, being intimate with each other without me, and that that has its challenges at times for sure. And I think that for the last maybe four or five years, that has not irked me in perhaps the same way. Like I'm able to look at it more with a little bit more of a compersion, I think, and know that like I have my own special relationship with these two people as well. It's different than what they have together, but we all still have something really close and meaningful and it doesn't have to just look one way. And that's a really lovely thing that I think non-monogamy and this podcast has taught me. Beautiful. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's see. Uh, I would say some highlights. Gosh, I mean, it's hard going third, right? Because I think that I want to echo all the things that the two of them have said already. Let's see. As far as highlights go, I think for me, it's just when I think about the fact that I've gotten to have some really amazing relationships over the last, you know, 10 years or however long, where I can think back and go, wow, gosh, yeah, I kind of got into this new music or got into this new hobby because of this relationship I was in who showed me that thing. Or maybe it's like, oh, this is a person we went to, you know, dungeons or play parties with. And that's not something I I probably would have done on my own. Wow, that's so cool that I got to learn that and have that experience. And I think that's that's a normal part of dating. We get to learn things from the people we connect with. And at the same time, I get to say, wow, Dedeker and I are celebrating our 10-year anniversary later this year. I have something that's so long and so stable like that. And then to also say, and I have this relationship with Emily that's been this very you know, intentionally crafted, very loving and caring relationship where we've gotten to you know, encourage each other's growth and you know, see things change over time. I think both of us are very different people than we were back in 2011 when we met. And I think that's that's been this really positive, great experience. And so getting to have 
all of that at the same time, instead of having to live several different lifetimes in order to get all those experiences, mm-hmm. I think is a pretty amazing highlight of being able to do polyamory and non-monogamy and, and just opening up the way I think about relationships. As far as challenges go, I'll you know echo the same things that Emily and Dedeker have said, and then I'll add one that's maybe just a little bit silly, and that's that <laughs> and that's that uh so I also had a breakup right before the pandemic actually, and then kind of wasn't really dating at all, you know, during lockdown and all of that. Went on a couple dates over the last few years, which have turned into friendships, but not anything more than that. And so that's been been a little challenging kind of being out of that and getting back into it. But then I'm hitting that thing where to date people who listen to the podcast feels a bit weird. You know, it's kind of that there's a strange power dynamic in one way. And also like, you know, a lot about me and, and have that kind of side of the relationship. And I don't know anything about you. It's all kind of weird. And so I'd rather not date someone who listens to the podcast, but as our podcast has grown, I've effectively eliminated a very large portion of the potential people I could date. So I'll just be silly and say that that's the challenge that comes to mind right now, besides the the more serious challenges, I think, that Emily and Dedeker brought up. No, I totally get that. I think I was having a similar struggle in New York. It was hard to get away from like my, just because my community, my work, everything and the podcast, everything was so wrapped up. And and of course, the people that I want to date are people who are into this dynamic. So yes, I was finding right. the, the so same. they would be into I, I it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the people that you would date also just know you, but they know you too much and you don't get to have a fresh, you know, a fresh relationship. So I totally, totally understand that. Now that I am, I'm, I don't permanently live in New York. That's definitely a, a highlight for me. One of the things about becoming a digital nomad or oh, not really nomad, but like the, the mover, the bouncer, the multi-hub life, which right. is what I call is definitely being one of those like ways out, being able to like meet people that don't know me. Sure. I don't know them. Let's start from the beginning. You know, tell me all, you know, so I, I totally, I totally understand that. Beautiful. Okay. So the other big thing, obviously your relationship that you've nurtured over the years has evolved and, and grown and, and has sort of really shaped the way that you see the world, but you've kind of made something awesome out of it, which is the podcast. And, and of course we have to talk about the podcast. So can you tell me similarly, did you say eight years? Yeah. We're in our ninth year. Uh, nine yeah. years almost. Nine years, almost nine years. Yeah. I mean, almost a decade, right? A decade of work. I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. to, I know, Jace, you talked about it evolved over time and it started about just the sort of non-monogamy and your own relationship. And over time, it's become a real resource about relationships in general and research-backed um, relationship talk. I'm curious about what are the highlights from that? Doing something like this, taking these deep dives into um, relationships and understanding not just only non-monogamy, but kind of relationships as a whole. What were the highlights from that? Like, What were your big takeaways that sort of changed and shaped the way that you think about relationships today? Yeah, maybe we can all take this one together. So I would say that as far as highlights go, it's been the community around the podcast that when we you know when we started the podcast it was originally just us thinking we're so interesting and and talking on mic and and doing this podcast from like a, a pillow fort on one microphone in the bedroom right like it's very very uh off humble. the cuff kind of casual <laughs> humble beginnings yeah and after i guess a year or two when we started our patreon and part of that we're like what should we do as a as a reward for that and like oh let's do a private facebook group where people can can join and yeah then they'll want to talk to us that'll be great and then what we actually learned is that that was way more popular than we expected and it was not because people wanted to talk to us but they wanted to be able to talk to each other that there's it's so hard to find i think good quality online spaces where people are supportive of each other and i think that because ours you know, has a little bit of a barrier to entry by needing to be a, a patron and you know paying a little bit of money each month. It keeps some of the trolls out, and then I think also they're all people who listen to multi-amory. and so kind of like with the dating thing, where I'm like, yeah, the person I'd probably want to date is the type of person who would listen to a show like multi-amory. So, well, shoot, I kind of screwed myself there, but I think that works out really nicely for all of the people in that community where it's like, yeah, I want to connect with other people who might like a show like this. Like I want to connect with people who want to be intentional about their relationships and just seeing how that's 
grown and kind of taken on this life of its own, that it's almost like we get to observe and be a little bit part of this really cool community rather than it all being centered around us, which I think is what we thought it might be at first. Yeah, having access to the community means we've gotten to do some amazing things, you know, everything from being able to, you know, go on tour and do live shows and meet people in person and get to see all the different ways that people are living out all their different types of relationships, all the way to being able to do things like almost like little informal focus groups. So as in, you know, we've done some like we'll have a Zoom meeting sitting down with like a handful of our listeners and our patrons just to talk about our radar tool, for instance, like our check-in tool and just getting a sense of, are you using this? How is it going? What are the ways that it's going well? What are the ways where it's challenging? Like, have you modified this tool in any way to fit your relationship so that with the tools or the concepts that we introduce on the show, it's not just based on our own personal experience. It's not just based on the stuff that we research, but we have this sense that like, oh, this is actually being used in real life ways and being modified and being built upon. And so getting a sense of that has been really, really cool. Again, just like seeing the ways that the community has like picked up stuff and run with it and made stuff that's like way cooler than we could ever come up with has been amazing. And like something that, you know, if you're creating in a vacuum or if you're creating in a different medium, you know, sometimes you don't always get that sense of that engagement and interaction with an audience. It's so great to meet people in real life who... I, you know, work at a restaurant two days a week and have for 10 years and getting people to come into the restaurant and then like tap you on the shoulder and be like, I love your show. And like, (laughs) thank you so much. Or, you know, you're this episode saved my marriage or whatever. It's really incredible hearing that. I mean, I, I was at the Hollywood Bowl once and somebody like ran across the stadium and went like, oh my God, are you Emily from Multiamory? And that was really cool. It just, it's wonderful to get to hear stories of people's relationships being changed in some way by what we do. And that is just incredibly humbling and incredible to know that we have the capacity for that kind of change. And I think everybody does. And to be able to enact that in in somebody's life is just a really meaningful, wonderful experience. So I'm glad that our show has evolved and changed over time, that it's not just like one group of people that that can be done for. But hopefully, even as we continue to grow, that just becomes more and more inclusive. I love that. I love that. Yes, when you hear the impact, you get that kind of feedback when you get a really glimpse into the impact of what you're doing in people's lives. It's definitely like, it it makes you feel alive. So I I completely understand that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So I know that over the years, as you did the the show, you've developed a bunch of tools, right? You know, the the communication trifecta, the radar, you know, these tools are out there. Um, And I know some of them are sort of developed as a part of this relationship. I know some of the stuff was like adapted from management tools. You know, it was, it's it's beautiful, (laughs) the evolution of them. And they are now a book. Multimory is now a book. Right. So I would love to hear about that. Like, yes. how did that happen? And, and tell us a little bit about the, the book and also, the, the, you know, the, the tools for those who don't know, there are these tools out there, communication tools that you've sort of developed and put out there and supported it with the podcast, where they're like handouts and, you know, it, it's this it's a great sort of toolbox. And it's been out there, but now it's uh, all compiled into one book and it's, you know, it's, it's being published or it's, it's on the shelves. Uh, it, it's coming out on May 23rd. Yeah, the the evolution of the book, let's see, I guess I'll take a little bit of a step back. And we set as a goal for ourselves years ago, once we hit a certain size for our online community, that we would do something. And we weren't sure what that something was. And so we put out a poll to our audience saying, what should we do? And we you know, put out a few different options and book was the one that, that won. That's the one that the most people said, I would love a written version of this stuff you talk about. So that was in 2019. We started that process and we uh, got an agent who was a listener of the show. And we went through several different iterations of the proposal, trying to figure out what the book would be about. And eventually where we landed was 
there are certain things that we've come up with during the course of the show that we reference over and over and over again. So things like the Triforce of Communication, like Radar, like being chewers and spewers in terms of how you process things, uh, talking about boundaries, uh, repair shop is another one. So we have these things that we've created over the years, sometimes thinking, oh yeah, we're going to create a tool for this specific thing. And other times kind of talking about a topic and then realizing, wow, we need to talk about this more. We should come back and make a tool out of this because this is really important, like boundaries, for example. And what we realize is there's these things we reference over and over again and that we hear from people that they share with their partners. We have listeners that are therapists who say, I use these tools all the time with my clients. This tool is the one that changed my life. You know, those sorts of things. And we said, okay, we have the gift of this kind of, like these things have been vetted for us. We didn't have to just sort of write a book and see what was good in it. It's like, okay, look, we know what's really worked for people and that we have these many years of us making these things to find these are the top ones. So let's make that into a book. And so we kind of went through getting the information you could get from the podcast, but adding more examples, more exercises to do at home, more ways to make it clearer and easier to understand. Because I know sometimes learning a new tool, just listening to it in an hour-long podcast, it's a little harder for that to stick unless you take a lot of notes and listen over and over again. And so I know for myself, having something in written form makes it a lot easier to learn. And I think that's why so many of our listeners were like, make a book. Gosh, (laughs) make a book already. And so it's been a long journey to get here. But that's basically the idea, is to take some of those fundamental tools and really explore them and show, you know, how can we explain this tool in the most understandable way, the most useful way. And that's the idea is it's like a toolkit where you can go and pick and choose and say, you know what, let's go revisit this chapter because that's one we need to to talk about rather than something that has to be read straight through and that it's for anybody in any type of relationship. Um, We've even heard from some people who use the tools in their professional relationships. Like at our business, we do radar every month. We do it in our romantic relationships too, but we also do it in our business relationships. Mm -hmm. So it really is for for any kind of relationship. And we try to make that clear in the book uh, that this isn't just for one particular way of doing relationships. Yeah, it's such a really beautiful and exciting time to have you know, some of the best parts of the podcast in book form, again, to make it more accessible, to make it more giftable, to make it so people can highlight it and write notes and dog ear it and all those things. And it was also such an interesting experience being able to co-write together as well, where, yeah, I mean, we're fortunate in that we've produced the podcast together and we've been working together for so many years. And so have a lot of tools and a lot of good connection, uh, but still a new, a wholly new challenge to be writing together as well, you know, to be co-authoring together, but it was all for the better. You know, it was like so good to be able to have two co-authors whose feedback I knew that I could trust, like even at times, like if I disagreed with it or whether I agreed with it or whatever, but just knowing that like we all had each other's back in that way. So just like super grateful even to have the experience and then also to be able to share it with the world as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in. It was funny that our editor for the book actually told us, she's like, I've never had more than two authors write a book together. So I wasn't sure how this would go, but this has been way easier than I expected it to. (laughs) Three of you are able to write together really well. So that was also encouraging to say, okay, this, this wasn't for nothing. All this, all this research and time we've spent learning how to communicate and figuring things out together. Yeah. The process uh, took I think less time than we imagined that it might. We were worried a couple times that is this not going to work out the way that we wanted it to, but then it ended up being okay. And so I am just really excited to get it out there in the world and get feedback from people and see, you know, what they think of it being in written form. And I hope that using like the homework assignments, for example, that will even instill more of an understanding of a particular tool and enable them to use it in their own life even more easily than if they had just listened to an episode. I know this would be hard. It's like picking your favorite child, 
But <laughs> um, I can't I can't help but ask if if you were going to share one tool, if you just like bumped into somebody in a bus stop and they, you know, just somehow mentioned they were, you know, amidst a, a relationship situation and you were going to just tell them one tool that you think is going to like just help or, or change or, or cause a shift. What would what would that that tool be? The first tool we talk about in the book and one that I think is so beneficial and so easy to use is the Triforce of Communication. And it's really just letting people know what it is that you want out of a conversation and having them be able to give that to you. I think so often in conversations, especially if we're in conflict or if we're in turmoil, a partner may just jump immediately into, I want to fix the problem. I want to give you advice, but that's not always what we need. And so it's literally just being able to say like, hey, Triforce number one, I'm just getting something off my chest. I'm just letting you know about a particular thing that's happening. This is why I seem a little down or I seem a little out of it. I'm just letting you know like where I'm at. Triforce number two is, hey, I really want some love and some understanding, maybe a poor baby, maybe just some cuddles. I just am going to tell you and and I want you you know, to love and understand me. That's it. And then Triforce number three is finally getting into that advice that let's problem solve here, let's work together and be collaborative. But you're asking for that as opposed to a partner just automatically giving that to you. And you don't necessarily need to use the words Triforce one, two, or three. You can just be able to meta-communicate, which is something we talk about all over the book over and over again, but really just say to your partner, this is what I need. Can you make sure that we we do that and that you give that to me? And I can give that to you in in a conversation that you have where you need something from me. I love that. I think that's something that has actually changed my relationship with Jacqueline. Um, I'm a problem solver. I'm a natural problem solver. I'm the happiest when I'm solving problems. And I mean, all sorts of problems. I, when I was little, I liked puzzles, you know, and just my brain loves a problem and I, I have a million different ways to solve yeah. them. And the more I love the person, the more I want to gift them my, <laughs> my solution, my solution finding brain. And it's definitely something that, that Jacqueline and I have learned over time is friends and collaborators, creative collaborators is to be able to say, I'm going to share this with you and I just need you to listen. Or, I'm going to share this with you. I just need you to be my cheerleader. Or I'm going to share this with you because I need that brain mm-hmm. of yours, you know, and, and vice versa. So I, you know, that I, I love that tool. I love that that's out there because I think it really makes a difference in the communication, in the, the fiber of the communication, not even what you're saying, but just the way you're arriving at a conversation and any kind of dialogue. So I love, love, love that, love that tool. And I, I totally get why it's your number one. Emily, is it the same for the rest of you or do you have other number ones? Jason and Decker, do you have other favorites? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, uh, I will sandwich myself in the middle here to say that I I think if you put me in the bus stop scenario, because I think my Mm -hmm. favorite tool changes on the context, but if I'm thinking (laughs) of the bus stop scenario, if a stranger comes up to me and explains I'm having these relationship issues, what would you recommend? I think my number one tool is actually a tool that that's not original to us, but we have riffed on many, many times and we do cover it in the book. And it's just the acronym HALT. And HALT originally came out of actually addiction and recovery spaces. And it was this idea of you know, thinking about the times that you're most likely to relapse. And so HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And many people have found that, oh, this applies not just to relapses, but also let's say relapses in communication habits, right? Like the times that we're most likely to not be communicating our best. Now we riffed on that and we added, you know, it's not just about when you're hungry, angry, angry, lonely, or tired, but also if you're drinking, if you're sick, if you're horny sometimes. And so we kind of expanded it into like halted, you know, as the reminder that all of these things can be influencing factors that can make you make maybe not the best communication decisions in the moment. And so for me, I do feel like some of relationship 101 is if you're in any of these states, can you take a 20 minute break or a 25 minute break? go take care of what you need to do, go let your body come back to some kind of physiological calm and then come back to the conversation. So for me, again, a total stranger bus stop situation, I think that's the one that I would whip out. Gosh, see, I feel like 
I need to get a vibe of what this person's going through in their relationship <laughs> mm. in this short bus stop conversation, right? Because <laughs> I would agree with Emily that I think Triforce is usually where I'd start with people because I think part of it is that it's something you can apply anywhere, like Emily said, and the other person doesn't have to know about the tool for it to work, right? That even if someone comes to you and says something, if you're aware of the Triforce, you could ask them, are you looking for advice right now? Or do you just want some encouragement? Or maybe you could just say, I'm going to start with Triforce 2 and just kind of give some sympathy or some encouragement or whatever is necessary. And then maybe ask, are are you looking for advice and problem solving too? Or how are you feeling? Just to even know that that's a question to ask. Because I find with the Triforce, it's one of those things that once you have learned it and have used it a little bit, you see it everywhere. Like anytime you see your friends bickering or your, you know, your friends in their relationships kind of getting on each other's nerves or getting short with each other, I would say 90% of the time I'm looking at it going, look, I don't want to butt in, but like, gosh, I see that one person's very clearly wanting some sympathy and this other person's trying to give them answers. And the person who wanted sympathy is getting frustrated and the person giving answers is getting frustrated because they're not listening to their answers. And it's just this whole cycle. I just see it so often. So I I do love starting with that one. But I would say if this person at the bus stop is someone who is in a relationship with, with another person who seems like they're also willing to put some effort into that relationship and be more intentional then probably Radar, which is the last of the tools. So Triforce is the first and Radar is the last in the book, that Radar is our regular monthly relationship check-in that I think has been hugely transformative in my own relationship and clearly from a lot of our listeners who've talked to us about how that's really changed the way they approach their relationships. But that one does involve you know, both people in that relationship, whatever kind of relationship it is, they both need to be on board and willing to commit to this regular thing. Cause part of what makes it so powerful is that it's regular. Like it allows you to continue to evolve and grow and tweak things together to make your relationship as awesome as it can be rather than waiting till everything sucks to have a relationship check in like this one, you get to celebrate the good stuff as well as work on the things that are challenging. And I think that's a big shift from how a lot of us are taught to have, you know, relationship talks. For sure. Absolutely. I also find things like regular check-ins like that, especially if you're arriving with some sort of a structure and, and I'm familiar with radar and it's a great structure to, to arrive with. And if you're taking notes over time, you're also getting this beautiful sort of chronicle of your relationship as well. You don't, Absolutely. you know, it doesn't have to be like written out notes, but if you've been doing it for a while and you look back and you know, you, you keep notes of it, it's just like a, a beautiful chronicle of like where you've been, the, the ups and the downs and, and what are the sort of the through threads of like this, this all always works or this we, we just we, we seem to suck at you know this thing is coming back mm. and I, I, I like the idea of that as well I think it's great for having a cadence of here's a place that we're going to talk about this so things don't build up and you don't get this anxiety of like I'm not going to be heard I'm not going to be seen or where, when are we going to talk about this there's never a good time you know that there is a a time set and a place that's dedicated to that. And it's great for ongoing maintenance and kind of um, having that, that place. And over time, I think it just makes for a beautiful record of like where you've been and, and, and being able to look back at that as well. A great self-reflection tool. So yes, I see, I see the radar as well. Yeah. All of these tools are, are awesome. Whoever this bus, bus stop person is very lucky. He's getting great <laughs> advice. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> advice they take, it's going to be good. <laughs> Beautiful. So I want to thank you, truly thank you for taking your time, for coming here as a, as, as a team, um, sharing about your podcast, your relationship and your upcoming book and the tools that you share there. Also, you guys have been on the podcasting space for, for a long time and it's something that, that we feel like you've led the way. Like there's just one of the first contents out there and we're kind of you know, putting out what we can do as well. So I really, it was nice to meet you in person and sort of hear from you in person as well. So I really appreciate your time, your effort, you showing up here. And I wish you the best of luck with the podcast and the book. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Effie. Yeah. Thank you for wonderful questions, for a great conversation. And also thank you for the work that you're doing in this space as well. It takes all of us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. To connect with Jace, Emily, and Dedica, jump on Instagram at multiamory underscore podcast. 
and also TikTok and Twitter at Multiamory. Definitely check out their book, Multiamory, Essential Tools to Modern Relationships, available at your local bookstore, including the Curious Fox bookstore at wearecuriousfoxes.com forward slash reading list. If you would like to listen to more episodes about non-monogamy and communication, check out the new episode drop email from Curious Fox in your inbox while you'll find show notes, links mentioned in the show, along with other episode suggestions. If you're not getting those, you are missing out. So jump on our website, wearecuriousfoxes.com and sign up to the newsletter. And of course, while you're there, check out all the blog posts and resources and reading lists and recommendations and more. If you want to weigh in on the topic and connect with other Foxy listeners, head to Facebook and join our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. If you find our episodes interesting and helpful, please share our podcast with a friend. Quickly rate the show, leave a comment and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Or connect with the show wherever you're listening. This will take a few seconds of your time, but it will have a huge impact on us. To support the show, join us on Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes, while you'll find mini episodes, podcast extras, and over 50 videos from educator-led workshops. Go to patreon.com forward slash We Are Curious Foxes. And let us know that you're listening by sharing a comment, story, or a question by emailing us or sending us a voice memo to listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. This episode is produced by Effie Blue, with help from Yamur Arkishi. Our editor is Nina Pollock, who co-parents our podcast baby with us. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.